Good morning. I'd like to invite you uh, to turn your Bibles or open up your devices to Luke 24. Um, you're going to want to have your finger in Luke 24 as well as Luke 1. Uh, and so that's one of the Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And uh, this morning, it, we're going to kind of, we're not going to do where we usually read the Scripture first and then, um, and then we jump right into the sermon, but I'm going to be reading the Scripture throughout my sermon. So kind of a think of it this way. Um, if when you're watching a show, you don't usually have the subtitles on, we're going to be doing this with the subtitles on this morning. And so I'm going to be interacting with it as we go through the Scriptures this morning and as I, as I preach. And so you want to have your finger there in Luke 24 and also Luke 1 as we go through this. But let's just take a minute and go before the Lord, ask for his blessing this morning. Father, we look to you now, uh, even this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Um, we need you. I need you. And pray, Father, that you would take your truth, press it deep into the soil of our hearts so that bears fruit in our lives. Now, we look to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, some of you have probably done this. I decided to do this this week is to, you know, play around with some chatbot AI. Maybe some of you have been doing that lately, been reading the news and, and hearing about this, but thought this just, well, here's my transcripts, okay? So AI started out saying, hello. And I said, I'm preaching on the resurrection of Jesus Christ this coming Sunday. What do you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? AI responds, Savior of the world. All right. It's interesting. I said, yes, indeed. Why do you think so? AI goes, of course, babe. <laughs> I think we're off track here. I think we have some work to do in AI. Um, I think chatbot was heading in another direction there. But I bring that up because like, we have funny experiences, sad experiences, exciting experiences that we want to share, just like I wanted to share that with you when I did chatbot AI this week. But you know, we have experiences, whether amazing or difficult, they have a way in which of getting out, right? Of, of making them know. You can't help but want to tell somebody about something exciting that has happened. And for these disciples here, um, they, were, they, they felt compelled to tell because of what they had seen what they had heard, and who they'd even touched. They couldn't help but proclaim this Jesus. You see, they weren't talking to a chatbot Jesus. It was the real, bodily, resurrected Jesus Christ. And I know in saying that this morning that I'm talking to a varied audience. I know you get some of, not everybody's necessarily on the same page here. I know some of you this morning have heard this year after year. You believe it, and each year you're looking for a new nugget of truth to hold on to, something to be pressed into your heart and life. I know some of you have also heard this many times, and it's a bit like white noise. It's there, you believe it, but you're just not really paying attention to it. Just this really doesn't hit home. Some of you are hearing about this for the first time, and you know what? You're just not sure what you believe about this. You're just not sure. You're indifferent to it. But some of you this morning are hearing this uh, not for the first time, and you're not sure that you believe something like this because it sounds a bit like fantasy. It sounds like a world that if you put on a VR headset, you could create. 
And there you would see a resurrected Jesus. But it's not reality. It's not reality. Dead people don't rise from the grave. There's explanations for this. And besides, I'm not sure why Christians think this is so important that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. But no matter where you are this morning, let me say this. I'm glad you're here. This is the place for you. Maybe in your church experience, struggling through questions like this has not been the place for you. But the church is the place for you to wrestle through, to think through, to struggle through, and to find understanding. So we're glad you're here, and we're also glad you're tuning in online. This is the place to work through these things. You know, it's not that hard to believe. You know, Luke was kind of like us. He had questions. He understood that you and I had questions. Luke, in this gospel of Luke, uh, he was a follower of Jesus Christ, just to give you a little bit of his background. He wrote the book of Luke here, but also the book of Acts. And he was concerned. He was concerned about your questions. He was concerned. But let me tell you a little bit more about him. He was a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. He's a guy we meet in the New Testament who was traveling around, building up the churches, planting new churches. He was an apostle. Um, Luke was also a physician. You may not know this. So a medical doctor. Uh, he was also a Gentile. He was not Jewish. Uh, and he is occasionally one of Paul's traveling companions. And he's very concerned with accurate history. In other words, he would not be a fan of fake news or revisionist history. He cares about the real thing. He cares about getting to the heart of the matter. He cares about your questions and what you're thinking about this morning. So much so, go back with me to Luke chapter 1. Let's look at the first four verses. Luke chapter 1. And this is what, and Luke gives us insight into his thinking. You can either see it there in your Bibles or up on the screen. But Luke says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, Luke is concerned here with giving an accurate historical and theological account of what happened. He says he spoke to eyewitnesses, and he had actually followed these things closely for some time. And that's what you would expect of someone who's trying to verify these things, right? He now writes an orderly account that you, most excellent people this morning, uh, have, so you can have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Certainty. You know, the disciples, they had their doubts. They had their doubts. Luke records this for us when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. Uh, he, he finds them in Luke, look at Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. And this is what we read. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do, your, why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. You see, Luke is concerned that you have certainty in the things you have been taught, not least of which is a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And Luke is, as a faithful historian and a follower of Christ, he's honest. You notice that? He's honest and doesn't paint the disciples in the best of light. He shows you honestly where they were at. They had their doubts. They weren't this organized super confident bunch, but rather they had their doubts. And Luke is reporting it as it had been reported to him. And this belief in the resurrection was clearly being taught. Um, People had witnessed it, and Luke wants Theophilus and you and I to have certainty about these things, that Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, you may have heard someone throw around the term the Gospels. And, you, and maybe some of you know what that is, but the Gospels are first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are, they are the Gospels of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so these Gospels are basically the narratives of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ in first century Palestine. And uh, one of the things they tell us is that Jesus rose from the grave, that the tomb was empty. And no doubt, if you have read Newsweek or Time magazine over the years, they have featured articles about who is this Jesus and did he really rise from the grave and all kinds of different reasons have been posited for this empty tomb idea. But in Christianity, what we believe and what we teach is that the tomb was empty because Jesus Christ rose bodily from the tomb on the third day in first century Palestine. That's what we believe. Why do I say this? Well, there's so much to say on this. It's a whole sermon series over several weeks. But let me just say a few points this morning to help us as we look at this. The first thing I want to look at is the disciples. I want to look at their transformation. These guys went from scared and doubting and hiding, like in Luke 24, which I just read, to bold and proclaiming. You can see this in passages like Acts 2 or Acts 4. Their lives had been changed. And even more so, they were actually willing to go on and die horrific deaths for what they believed in. And that is highly unlikely. If you know that what you are proclaiming, what you believe in, is actually a lie. To actually go on and die for a lie. But more than that, combine that with over 500 eyewitnesses. Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. That Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are alive, though some have fallen asleep. So if the resurrection was false, 
then a body could have been easily produced because all these people had seen it, had seen him because they knew where he was buried. Eyewitnesses could have easily debunked the notion that he rose and this theory would have died out a long time ago. I don't know if you know this or not, but even in scripture, like a passage like Acts 5, there's already evidence that there had been previous Christ's messiahs. And even after Jesus, there were other messiahs. But these, these movements never amounted to anything because all those men died, never rose again from the grave. But something's different with this Jesus. Also, think about this. Rome would not have bribed the guards to say that the disciples stole the body. We read about this in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. You see, Rome's narrative, Rome was in control, was in power over Israel at this time. And their narrative was to say that the disciples stole the body. And what's interesting about that statement, that statement alone presumes an empty tomb and a PR campaign to explain it outside of the fact that he rose from the grave. Anything but that. And they're trying to explain it away. And then think about this as the last thing. You would not cite women as your eyewitnesses if you wanted people to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Why do I say that? Because in the first century in the Near East and the Mediterranean, the testimony of women was not always acceptable in the court of law. It wasn't valued as it should have been. But yet the Gospels, they cite the true testimony of these women who saw Jesus first, actually. It's honest. There's no spin. I love that about Scripture. And there's more I could say, but the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb on that Sunday morning is that Jesus rose bodily from the dead on the third day in first century Palestine. And now I recognize that some of you here maybe are wrestling with this, or maybe it's the first time you're kind of considering this, and maybe you found yourself saying no to everything I just talked about, <laughs> debunking everything, even as I spoke about it. And I just want you to know that we as a leadership would love to talk with you. So if you're willing, we would love to talk with you as you have questions. But I do want to ask you a question this morning. What then is your reason for the empty tomb? What then is your reason for the empty tomb? It's not sufficient enough just to say, well, it didn't happen. Because even amongst skeptics, it is recognized that these are historical accounts, valid historical accounts. You can't just dismiss it. Something actually happened to these disciples, some kind of experience even, even scholars like Bart Ehrman who reject the bodily resurrection of Christ, they say clearly something happened to these men, that they're going around and proclaiming this. And so, what are you thinking this morning? Well, one of the most common and popular explanations is that they were hallucinating. This is the one that has, has, is still to this day that uh, many believe they, these men were just hallucinating, they saw visions, or they imagined him. And there's much to say even on this. But I'll just say this concisely. Justin Taylor um, had an article where he concisely says this. He says, There is nothing in the psychological case books 
on hallucinations comparable to these resurrection appearances. And what he's talking about there is that hallucinations don't take place in large groups, where large groups of people hallucinate the exact same thing. That's what he's getting at there. I'll read on. He goes on. He says, hallucinations of Jesus would have led the disciples to believe at most that Jesus had been transported to heaven, not risen from the dead in contradiction to their Jewish beliefs. And what he's saying there, he's like, they believed in a resurrection of his people at the end of time, not individual resurrections in time. And so they wouldn't be expecting it, as you even saw in those passages of Luke 24. But then he goes on, he says, in the ancient world, visions of the deceased were not evidence that the person was alive, but evidence that he was dead and had moved on to the afterworld. This theory doesn't even attempt to explain the empty tomb. And so I ask you this morning, as you're thinking through this, what reason would you give for the empty tomb? Luke's desire was that you would be certain of what you have been taught, that you would know that this Jesus rose from the dead. But Luke's account, it adds more than just eyewitness testimony of the facts. He also looks at prophetic fulfillment. You see, Luke is concerned not just with the facts, but with prophetic fulfillment. And he records a true story here that's only in this gospel um, that points to the fact how, how Jesus uh, fulfills the scriptures. And I love this story. If you look to Luke 24, 13 through 35, uh, but I'm just going to summarize this scene, and then we'll read a few verses. But it's a great scene that Luke recounts, the story of Jesus appearing to these two men while they're on the road to Emmaus. And some of you I know know this story. It's the day of the resurrection of Jesus, Sunday, and these two men are walking on the road discussing the events that had gone on in Jerusalem recently. And Jesus draws near and starts walking with them, but they don't know it's him. And he's asking them what they're talking about. And the men don't recognize Jesus, but they're very sad about what has happened. And they ask Jesus, how do you not know? Where have you been? You've been under a rock, you know? How do you not know what has gone on these past few days? And Jesus says, what things? And so they explained to him that they had hoped Jesus, who was a prophet, that he was the actual Messiah, But since he had been crucified and they had not seen him, they're doubting, they're troubled, they're very sad. And even though they had heard from the women who visited the tomb, who saw angels who said he was alive, and even though they heard that some others went to the tomb and corroborated the women's testimony, but they still didn't find Jesus there, they disbelieve. And it's at this point in Luke 24, 25 through 27, you'll see it on the screen, Jesus says this, he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And it's interesting, Jesus at this point, he admonishes and then he opens up the scriptures of the Old Testament to show them that the Old Testament scriptures spoke of him, pointed to him, that Jesus, this Jesus, is the Christ. 
And he walks them through Moses, which would have been what's called the Pentateuch in the Hebrew Bible, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And these books were uh, penned by Moses under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we're not sure exactly what Jesus took them through, but there's many passages in the Pentateuch in those first five books. Genesis 3.15 records the promise that the Lord said to the serpent, to Satan, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And it talks about how the seed of the woman will bruise or will crush the head of the serpent. And this seed idea can actually be traced through Scripture, specifically when you look at Abraham and his offspring. That's the same word, seed. And it's traced throughout Scripture so that when you come to the New Testament, Paul picks up on that in Galatians 3.16, and he points out that this seed was Christ. Jesus also went through the prophets, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. And sure enough, he probably quoted Isaiah. I would imagine he did. Maybe passages like Isaiah 7.14, where it says the Lord... uh, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Or maybe it was passages like Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there's a lot more to say on this. Maybe it was Micah 5.2, where it talks about how this ruler will come out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That's like saying he's not going to be born in Hollywood, California, but Hollywood, Florida. That's what he was saying there. Passages like this, and there's so much more to say here. But these men, think about this, these men were spending an intense time with Jesus in a very Christ-centered discipleship group. And they got a load that day as they even shared a meal with him. But after when Jesus broke that bread, it was that their eyes were opened and they realized that it was Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, who had been talking with them. And this is what they say to one another, Luke 24, 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. Indeed, the Old Testament, it speaks of Christ, points to Christ. And Luke wants you to see this about him. He wants you to behold this about him. He wants you to connect the dots so that you have certainty of the things that you have been taught. But why? What purpose? Is Luke saying, here, I just want to give you some fun knowledge tidbits, and fun facts so you can impress your friends at parties. No, he's actually saying this does something. It's for understanding because if we understand this news, if we understand this message, if we know of this Christ, who he is and what he came to do, then what that does is that propels us out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it does. Look at Luke 24, 46 through 49. And Jesus says this to his disciples. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And the disciples, seeing what they had seen, hearing what they had heard, even touching him, they were being called to proclaim, and no doubt they would. And how could they not, right? After what they'd seen, what they had heard, what they had touched. And they went from fear in Luke 24 to boldly proclaiming in passages like Acts 2 or Acts 4. What moved them? What compelled them against their own doubts? It's that their lives had been changed by this resurrected Christ through the Holy Spirit. This Christ who was raised and through whom anyone and everyone can have forgiveness of sins through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's a message of hope. It's a message of hope, especially in our day, where there's so much brokenness and sinfulness in ourselves and in the world. There's hope there. There's hope for change and hope for renewal through Jesus Christ. Because if you come to know Jesus, you will one day rise bodily from the grave and you will be with him forever. The hope of glory has been promised and it's been secured by Christ for anyone and everyone who repents and believes in this Lord Jesus Christ, the one of the scriptures, the one who rose bodily from the grave on the third day. Eventually, the disciples would be bursting to proclaim this message. They couldn't help but proclaim it because they would want you to have what they have. They would want you to share in the experience that they had to have this eternal life. And it's a lot like that when you think about show and tell. I don't know if you guys remember show and tell, if you remember being a kid, being in elementary school maybe, where you got to, where you were told to bring something in and you get to show it. And you're doing that because you want everyone to kind of share in it. You're saying, hey, I want you to appreciate and value, see what I have here. And you, you want people to share in it. I'm no doubt if I was to ask you guys, you guys probably have some funny stories of show and tell experiences. Uh, but I want to share this story with you. Um, one girl tells this story years later uh, of, her, of her and her brother when they were kids. And she said this. She said, we had a nanny or a babysitter growing up. And she had told my brother to walk himself to school one day. He was six and I was three at the time. And so he walked me to his school and announced to his teacher that I was his show and tell. The school called my mother and said, hello, we have your daughter in the office right now. And my mom laughed and told them she doesn't go to school. She's three years old. Yeah, we know. Her brother brought her in for show and tell. <laughs> now there's a brother who's very proud of his sister. He wanted her to be known by them. He wanted to share her with them. It's really sweet. The disciples were more than proud of Jesus. They had been supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit, and they would never be the same. 
And as followers of Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been supernaturally changed by the Holy Spirit, and you will never be the same. You will never be that, that, that person who is sinful and deserving of God's wrath. You've been changed. We follow and we serve a living and a resurrected Christ. And because he rose, we too one day will rise and we will be with him forever. So in response to this, maybe we need to be like that six-year-old boy and we need to show Jesus with our lives and we need to tell of Jesus with our words. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we, we want to be a people that show and tell. We want to be a people that show and tell because of what you have done in our hearts, how you have changed us, how you have loved us with a steadfast love, how you have rescued us. Father, we know we serve a resurrected living Lord who lives and reigns forever. And so, Father, this morning, help us, propel us out, knowing that we serve a resurrected and living Christ. Propel us out to show of him, to tell of him with our words. Father, we look to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.